This is CliffCentral.com. Grant, I need to make a critical business decision. We've been expanding rapidly, and my gut feel tells me that we should be investing for growth. But I need to put some financial science behind that gut feel of mine. Don't you have a financial manager or director that can help you with that? But isn't that rather expensive? It doesn't have to be. Why don't you contact the finance team? They're a consultancy that can provide you with a part-time financial manager or director at a fraction of the cost of a full-time resource. Go to thefinancetim.co.za. Welcome to the business section of our Business Masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of The Finance Team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio today, as always, is Safia Boulay of New Habits, Making Shift Happen. Looking forward to the show, Richard. Last week, we spoke to Tulian Gusisi and Safiso Nkabanda, founders of Yamu. Great interview. Looking forward to, uh, or you can download that from our website. If you're interested in that uh, podcast, great one. Our guest on the line today, Jacques Rousseau, Managing Director of Astute Financial Services Exchange. Jacques, thank you for taking the time to join us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Richard. So, Jacques, give us a little bit of background as to what is Astute, the Financial Services Exchange. <laughs> Tell us about this company. Right, Richard. Uh, so, Astute, uh, I, I tend to call it the, the great secret within the financial services industry. And uh I'm quite uh, excited about uh, expanding the brand awareness and what we actually do for the financial services industry. So I often refer to ourselves as, uh, as you remember, back in the, the late 90s with the, with the advent of the personal computer, when you were looking for something of good quality, you were looking for that Intel inside logo on the outside. And um, we are we are basically the Intel Insight CPU for the financial services industry when it comes to life and risk insurance products. So very similar to to bank serve in the banking fraternity where they switch the banking transactional space of monetary values between interbanks and SAS switch, etc. We've been set up to to do a similar function within the insurance world and in the investment world. So Astute was founded in 2000 with a, I call it a great name, the Financial Services Exchange, but we just trade in the industry as Astute. Founded in 2000, as I said, uh, with um, the Old Life Office Association, today known as the CESA, uh, the Association for Savings and Investments. And then we are owned by the industry for the industry. So our three Equal shareholders is Liberty, Sunlum, and Old Mutual. And um, the incorporation intent was very clear, to create a industry-owned initiative that um, will not create a strategic advantage for just the shareholders, but for any participants in the industry, um, not, to, not to have a monopoly. In other words, we're not commercially driven in terms of making excessive profits, um, and the main intent was to create economies of scale out there. As you know, with the way that IT has grown phenomenally over the last 20-odd years, it's exploding, we we set our core focus on creating IT solutions that's, that covers across the board for the, for the financial services industry where we can, um, where we can facilitate data exchange in in the industry and just to give you some some numbers and facts today astute is integrated in over 130 different unique products within the uh, life risk investment and short-term industry 
We, uh, we've got over uh, 30,000 registered users on our platform, both in South Africa and Namibia. And if I call it a registered user, those are your intermediaries or your brokers directly. We process over 3 million transactions on a monthly basis uh, in the life and risk space. That's data that's been requested or being exchanged. We do over 300,000 batch requests per month. A batch request is typically where you roll it up to verify details, for example, personal details with a link that we've got to the Department of Home Affairs or with the Financial Services Board themselves where we see ourselves as a gatekeeper. And our main focus is to deliver va- to deliver services in the value chain for all these financial services industry companies. Um, so our core product, which is called uh, CCP or Consolidated Client Portfolio, takes away the burden of big call centers and the different insurance companies where a broker can make a simple request via our platform or via one of the financial needs analysis tools out there and get a consolidated view through all our integrations um, within seconds of what user, customer or individual that's insured has got out there in the market. So Jacques, just uh, to interrupt you yeah. for a second. So that's when sure. I have a new broker that I uh, am talking to and I sign a nice little piece of paper that says yeah. go go and get all of the information about all the policies that I have in place and he yeah. disappears and if uh, an hour or two or a day later or whatever, he's got back all of the information, so no matter who he works for or with or is aligned with, he's got all of my policies and all of the information about all my life insurance and potentially even investment uh, products that I have out there with all the various players in the market. That's correct, Richard. So that's that's what we call our flagship or main switch product that we've got. It's also important to 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 notice that we – we're in switching companies, so we don't store this data on our platform in, in any way or form. So the values for your portfolio, financial values for your investment is pulled off in real time from these back-end systems and then presented to the broker. Um, also a bit of history, um, latencies and legacy systems have caused sometimes uh, 24-hour delays in getting some of these portfolios. Today, the the longest you will wait is about two minutes to get information from an old legacy system, and it goes down to milliseconds in some of the modern modern life systems that we've got. So, so it's also over the past 17 years uh, moved on quite quite rapidly in terms of the the way that data has been exchanged and the speed at which it's been exchanged. Mm. So, just a question. I mean, wh- why why did the insurance industry actually start a street and you know, break down that, let's call it the silos amongst the industry. Because, I mean, everybody has their own data, so they're clearly in their own little silo of information. Why Why did the industry say, okay, let's do this? What was the driving force behind it? So, Richard, like I mentioned, one of the strategic intents of setting up a student was to create economies of scale. So it started off with a very basic problem of uh, the the access to the information and the resources required to service a simple administration function. So if you as a broker need to phone up 20 different life companies and investment companies to find out, has your customer got 
a specific policy with them, yes or no. You're actually spending hours on the phone, first of all, just to find out if there's information there, and most often they're not. You you may miss something in the process. And the secondly, you may miss some of the other companies that he may have had a product um, uh, placed with. So as you know, throughout your career, you may change jobs. You may have taken out different um, benefits with different employers. You may have, in some cases, there was a good good case uh, study in the late 90s where you can actually buy life insurance through your local retail checkout point. And those are all policies that's registered somewhere at an insurance company and you don't even know you may have taken out a, a benefit somewhere. It's, mm-hmm. it's often referred to as unclaimed benefits. So what the, the main driver behind this was to make sure that the accuracy and the relevance of the fund value at a specific point in time is, is more accurate. And then also to drive out the cost, which is a big driver in these big insurance companies you know, on the administration part, where you don't have to have 600, um, as we call them, bums on seats to service all these faxes and emails and telephone uh, requests coming through from the brokers and they can actually do this on a self-service platform that runs 24 by 7. So that was the that, that was probably the one main driver uh, and as I alluded to I think the the main driver these days in a near real-time environment is, is getting accurate policy illustration. You mentioned that you take on a new customer but this is also relevant when you do your annual reviews with your customer. Because a brute good broker will go back to his customer at least at least once a year to review his his uh, portfolio, and it's getting getting the accurate up to date values on those portfolios that that mm. matters. Yeah, and having having an accurate picture of let's call it your true risk reward uh, scenario yeah. is very important. Now, Jacques, I mean, IT plays a critical role in financial services. I mean, we we know that. Astute obviously needs to address address the challenges of a market that's constantly under pressure to perform and grow shareholder returns. I mean, what is the impact of being such a strategic player or let's call it dominant player in in the industry? I mean, you're at a a key pivot point and, you know, I I am drawn – you earlier said, you know, the the whole collaborative approach here amongst the industry. But there's always this risk of a – let's call it that dominant – uh, provider being being used inappropriately, if I may may ask the question. I mean, we've seen examples of that uh, in the South African environment around pension payouts, etc. How do you yeah. deal with that challenge? Well, that's a that's a very relevant question, uh, Richard. I think the wh- one of the first observations that I can make as a student being an industry-owned initiative is we create non-competitive platforms for competing companies. Yes, we are industry-owned, and yes, there's only three shareholders. But as I said in the beginning, we we create a non-strategic advantage. In other words, we can't have one company being strategically advantaged over the other through our switching and our and our solutions that we deliver to the market. Great example is every quarter we have what we, what we internally call an IT Statcom or a strategic com, uh, committee that meets. Um, and we've expanded that strategic committee to include not just the shareholders, but non-shareholders as well. So we, we, we brought in the nets of our 
customer base to the large risk investment companies. And those, that IT Stratcom is, is um, attended by the CIOs of these different companies. And what we've seen happening over the past few years is we're creating a, a platform where these guys will, in a normal circumstance, not talk to each other because they're competing companies. But because we're sitting in the middle and we bring all of these players together, we're opening up the table to have conversations around specific technology items that, that's in fact, fact a problem for all of them. So looking at licensing issues or technology issues or hosting issues or future trends, for, exa- for example, where do we move our data to in the cloud and what does the regulator say about that? And because we're doing as a, as a in-the-middle IT company so much work on that, they, they're starting to take note of the fact that we actually deliver quite good insight into their own businesses. And it also allows for these competing CIOs to talk about their own problems and, and work around some solutions that's common to all of them. That's not, that's not strategically disadvantaging them in terms of, of, of having this conversation. So um, I think the, the other crucial role that we play in breaking down these silos is when we develop a new solution or we go to it with a new solution to the market, historically what most commercial companies will do is they will target a specific insurance company or one or two or maybe three with an idea or a solution that they've, that they've built or pre-built or envisaged that they're going to build. And, and let's use an arbitrary number of, let's say, a million rand to, to develop such a solution. What we do in, the, in, in this specific instance is we go and we get a community around the table and let's use an example of 10 players. They all have exactly the same need. We will tell them that the solution is typically your million rand solution. But now that you've got 10 players around the table, their input cost, their upfront cost is actually divided by 10. So you're lowering the cost of entry for each of them. I was going to say, so you're moving that break-even point on projects and on new new thinking for the benefit of the industry to a much lower point. So it's almost like you're creating innovative solutions, but you're spreading the uh, the spreading the risk and spreading the contribution amongst all the players so you're actually l- l- raising the game for all counterparties across across the space i guess to the benefit of the customer at the end of the day Abs- absolutely and and what you find in in a situation like that is when you start with your your project committee and you get the ideas around the table that uh, each of these companies have got a set menu i want to call it of their specific business requirements and business problems that they want to solve. Six of the ten may be common, but then you have unique ones that comes from different companies that will actually benefit other companies as well. So what you have now is you have a cross-pollinization of very good input ideas that will benefit not just yourself, but also other companies in in participating in a in a joint solution like this. So this has worked really well. And as part of our mandate is to spread the cost in economies of, of scale. Mm-hmm. So the more you 
companies you've got participating in the solution, the cheaper it becomes for every other party to actually keep continue trading or transacting on a on a platform or a switch like this. So, I mean, I guess then that gets to the point of how you break down silos, not inside astute but silos in a in an industry it's it's and it's it's the traditional silos of let's call it competitiveness that you've managed to break down since and you said the company started in 2000 i think it's a great yeah. it's a great example of how an industry has managed to get their minds around let's call it what's competitive and what's collaborative in the interests of the industry and the in, and in the in, interests of the customer base now absolutely yeah i mean what has been your biggest challenge in astute to date i mean what are some of the what are some of those challenges i mean you, you this all, this all sounds nice and nice and fairyland stuff you know we all agree as an industry to work together and we're all going to make this great for the customer well it's all nice in in theory i guess but you must have i mean i i can just imagine some of these board meetings must be rather interesting to say the least well uh, richard uh, since we're on the point of of culture and silos etc i'm so i've i've joined astute uh, just over 3 years ago and um uh, one of the biggest challenges that I have to had to face when I joined the company is uh, the, the matter around uh, company staff turnover. So, just to give you some numbers here, when I joined the company, we had a 42% staff turnover, and that that resolved mainly around bad culture and bad management. And when people ask you what is your biggest challenge running a company, you've got to remind yourself that. In, in an organization where you rely 100% on people producing your product. So, in other words, I don't have robots that's manufacturing code here. You've got people manufacturing code. You've got people looking after infrastructure. Your biggest asset is the people that work for you. The second biggest challenge is that IT has almost become a moving target. So, you've got so many... Um, acronyms running around. You know, if you have a board meeting and you sit with um, directors around the table from shelling companies, you've always got to educate them around what does all these different acronyms and IT mean? And that's all, almost tongue in the cheek because IT, as you know, is a is, is become a moving target, and you've got to adjust your whole business around the way that the world's moving. And in fact. Um, almost relates back to the previous question that you that you asked. What is our crucial role in the financial services industry? I see is still playing a major role in the fintech revolution, because the way that the world is is moving towards client-centric adoption of new technologies, we are finding and seeing that the big insurance companies are very slow in moving towards the adoption of new technology. So we see that as a big challenge, educating these big companies in the way that some of these trends are moving. And on, a, on a different note, culture inside an IT organization is very different from the culture in a financial services or a life insurance company. So you've got to you've got to work with. Um, you know, we often joke and say that you've got to supply enough pizza and enough, and mm-hmm. enough um, uh, cold drinks to make IT IT guys happy. But it you know it goes far and beyond um, just just having the 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 soft benefits. You've got to you've got to create a culture where people can feel that they can grow in as well. 
And one of the one of the challenges we face in a in a technology company is keeping good talent and uh, highly skilled individuals because you're always competing with other companies. You're always competing with the big corporates. And lately in South Africa, we've been competing with international companies. As you know, Amazon um, set up shop in South Africa, so you compete with with companies with 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 really big um, balance sheets that can afford to pay big salaries. So that's that's what you compete against. And then, as you know, the the economy is shrinking, so that puts pressure on everything. We can see it in transaction numbers, and um, so that all contributes to to creating a few challenges within the business. But if you ask me what is the biggest challenge, it's always your people. It's always it's the way that you that you harnessed your 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 people to see your your and adopt your shared vision within the company. So Jacques, um Astute was obviously set up to collapse the silos or the data silos that exist between the big um, insurance companies. But I'm sure that inside of your business, you also have, because you've got so many different kinds of teams going, I'm sure, um, you've got silos that start to appear within the business. How do you manage as a leader to minimize the impact of silos and silo thinking in your, within your organization? Yeah, that's, uh, that's so true. And that's one of the key things that I found when I, when I joined you over three years ago is, uh, I often refer to it as business and IT. And then I then I told the team, listen, IT is business and business is IT. Okay. And you've got to drive down all these silos within your own, own business. And it starts with uh, one of our core values is collaboration and making sure you collaborate amongst your team members. In fact, this year, one of the key things that we, we delivered internally is, and we worked with um, PwC, in this is to to move our performance review system from a from an individual performance system but to a team based performance system okay so it, it's all about the team and how well the team functions rather than how well does the individual function and that over time you can see the results of that because people realize that they are actually being measured against the performance of the team and they've got to collaborate across these different silos. So if you deliver something, um, you have a project to deliver, you depend on the infrastructure team just as much as you depend on the finance team as an example, because there's certain things that needs to fall in place there as well. Um, and the, the big shift is also, uh, I call it, um, you can meet yourself to death. And quite often what we found is that there's a lot of formal meetings happening and then mm. you engage and you think that you've breached that silo. So you have a meeting with, uh, let's call it the product team and the finance team. Yeah. And then you think you've breached that gap, but you haven't actually because you just, you, you wasted an hour in a meeting, but you haven't accomplished anything. So we, we, we move towards an agile approach and we, we also in the process of what we call business agility where we want to make decisions quickly. And if you empower your, your staff at the right level to make decisions within their own mandate, you actually see some of those silos falling as well because it really empowers them to, to move the business forward at a, at a rapid space. So you're saying that you make people really interdependent so that they can succeed together. 
Absolutely. You, I think I think one of the key things that we need to realize is, and I mentioned this earlier, is you, you've got to invest in your people. You've got to really make them realize that they are accountable for their own actions, and people is your most important asset. But when you do that, trust becomes a, a great factor. And if you trust them to deliver on their own results, you actually see that trust is probably the most important factor in breaking down silos um, and and getting getting things done as as they call it in the in the industry so if you can trust that individuals can do their work and they can trust be trusted to make really good decisions then then you actually see the business moving forward you know silos i think silos often happen when people don't want to talk across the other areas in the business because they don't trust them yeah. And they don't want, or they almost take the encounter, the accountability on themselves, and thinking that they're the only ones that can deliver on this on the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jacques, just for a moment here, let's talk about let's call it the fintech revolution and yeah. growth for astute into into the future. I mean, clearly you're positioned within the both life and now short-term insurance industries. What is the role of fintech in the whole fintech revolution vis-a-vis Astute? So, Richard, um, Astute embarked on a on a strategic vision where we call it the single view of the person. Uh, we call it the person and not the customer in this case because we don't own the customer, the the intermediaries, the brokers, the advisors out there. They own the customer, or the life insurance company owns the customer. And as I mentioned earlier, we, we create these non-competitive platforms where we get the CIOs together. And it's quite evident that, um, and I often refer to the oil tanker scenario where the oil tanker will radio ahead to the light tower to change course. You often see this in big established organizations where they can see the light in the distance and they want to change course, but they're instructing the other party to change course. And, and in fact, the light tower can't change course. So what, what we have seen is that we are perfectly positioned inside this non-competitive space to actually advise them and develop solutions. And we, we refer to it in, in IT terms as microservices. We, you don't often want a fully-fledged product, but you can actually use segments of products that we already developed to fast track your own own revolution in terms of the adoption of technology. The fact is, as we look in history, and it's now the 10th anniversary since the iPhone was released in 2007, uh, companies like Microsoft looked at it and said that the consumer will never change the enterprise behavior. And in fact, today we know it as a fact that the, the consumer did change the behavior of of the enterprise and we have things like bring your own device. Mm. So FinTech is going to go exactly the same way. So FinTech does not refer to the big companies coming up with new apps and new solutions. FinTech in, in my mind and in the students world specifically, we, we know that the consumer will drive the, the different adoption of how they will consume financial services in the future. So we see that as a great, great growth opportunity for us. Jacques, final question as we close out the show, and it's one that we, we always ask. 
If you as a leader uh, were listening to a radio show perhaps 10 or even five years ago, what is the one thing that if you had heard it would have made your life as a leader in astute uh, so much easier? This is your opportunity to do a little bit of a pay it forward uh, op- uh, you know, uh, s- scenario. Tell the listeners out there something that you've learned that will help them in their businesses and what they're doing as leaders and as entrepreneurs. Um, what is some, what's that one key learning that, that would really have helped you along the way? Well, thanks, Richard, for that. Uh, um, so it's a, it's a pity I've only got uh, opportunity for one because I've got three main learnings, but I'll, I'll briefly just share with you, I think, the main one. Mm-hmm. Um, I often say, say to the team here, you know, it doesn't take 2020 vision to read the bottom line. Cash is king and don't be Steve Jobs, be yourself. But I think one of the main things that I, that I've learned over time and there's a great story that I that I'll just briefly share with you. There was a um, the most senior um, military officer that was captured in the in the Vietnam War from the U.S. His name was James Stockwell, and uh, when he was captured, he was kept for eight years in a prisoner of war camp uh, by the Vietnamese um, army, and he made an observation there with people, with soldiers that was captured, tortured, and didn't get any food to eat, that the optimists were the ones that died first. Mm. And those were the guys that were still optimistic but could face the brutal, honest facts about what the reality is of their circumstances were the ones that survived. Mm. And in the 70s, he devised a a a basic management principle called the Stockwell paradigm. Mm. And that is face the brutal facts. And it was something that I only learned very late in, 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 in my career that uh, you get to a situation in business where you've got to make a choice between one or the other, mm. but the facts is already on the table. Yeah. And, You've got to face the brutal facts, and I think that's we hear the story about um, Stutterfits at the moment that's going down after 189 years. I, I can assure you the brutal facts was on the table long before this year. Yeah, exactly. And that's, what, and that's exactly my learning. You've got yeah. to sometimes make tough decisions. Agree. And that's unfortunate, but that's what you need to do as a leader. Yeah. Jacques, thank you very much. We really appreciate your insights. Face the brutal facts. That's really a, a well thought through engagement. Our guest, Jacques Rousseau, Managing Director of, of Astute, the Financial Services Exchange. Thank you very much for your time, Jacques. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Thanks. Appreciate it. Next up, the Youth Leadership Platform. This is CliffCentral.com.